0: God wants his people to grow, but Satan raises up false teachers to keep us from growing. And the thing Satan wants is to cause Christians to forfeit their inheritance. I want to read to you from... Colossians chapter 2. We're making our way through Colossians. We've been doing this for several months. And uh, we're into chapter 2, verse 16 through 19. The words of Paul. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going in to detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this his most holy and infallible word. I want to pray. Heavenly Father, I ask now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say what needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said, Help me to be very, very clear, very, very simple. And I pray that this will be a word of caution, but for someone in the nick of time, in this evil day when people are being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, let this be a word to preserve us from error and to put us back on the straight and narrow, to grow in a manner that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of years ago, uh, on one of my trips to Jerusalem, I was uh, walking around the old, uh, the Temple Mount, where there was some excavating doing. And um, uh, I was uh, fascinated when an Arab boy came up to me, and he says, look what I found. And I looked at him. I thought, that is a Roman coin. I wonder if he knows what this would be worth. 2,000 years old. And uh, I said, what are you going to do with it? Uh, He said, "Uh, well, uh, would you buy it from me? And uh, how much do you want? Uh, He said, $100. I said, well, I've got uh, only $30 on me. He said, I'll take it. (laughs) So I thought, this kid is just giving me something, that's worth a lot of money. I wonder if he knows, I felt guilty. But I uh, took it uh, uh, the next day into a Jerusalem coin dealer uh, and I showed him what I had and I said, "What is this worth?" He said, "Not even what—not <laughs> even one shekel." I said, "Really?" And uh, I told him where I got it, and he says, "Yeah, I know about those guys." But I was just taken right in by the counterfeit. Have you ever? Use counterfeit money, and you didn't know that's what you had. And, uh, I'd, uh, and another story I'll tell you while I'm on a roll, showing you how gullible I am. Uh, Louise and I and T.R. Melissa, we were in Rome. And uh, a young man came up to me and showed me this gold watch. And I looked at it. It's a Lone jeans, Wittenar. That's a $500 watch. I said, what do you want for it? He says, hundred dollars. I said, I've got 40. He said, I'll take it. <laughs> and Louise was very upset with me. She said, why would you pay that? I said, honey, look, it's a long jeans, but not. This is $500 if it's worth a penny. Well, I set the time with the watch I had and, uh, and had the new watch. And as I recall, it was like one o'clock. And I was really chuffed that I had this beautiful watch for $40 worth 500. About an hour later when my old watch says uh, <laughs> two o'clock, I noticed that my new watch said 2.30. <laughs> And then by 4 o'clock that afternoon, my new watch said 6 o'clock. I took it, when we moved up to Switzerland on that tour, took it to a Swiss jeweler, I said, what is this worth? He says, not even a dollar. But it looked good to me. What I want us to see is there is the counterfeit out there and uh, hopefully, you won't be as as gullible as I was. But we're talking about a world where Satan will do anything he can to divert us from Christ and lead us into an area where it is alien to the gospel. Uh, but because we're all, if we're not careful, uh, susceptible to something that looks at first so real, the counterfeit is out there, and in two Corinthians eleven fourteen, the apostle Paul says, "Do not be surprised that Satan is transformed into an angel of light," and so that you're in, you're convinced that this is something that is of God, and. Uh, I remember when I was uh, only a teenager, uh, some uh, a lady in the church where I was attending in Washington, D.C., uh, told me about uh, this unusual man she thought I might like to meet. And uh, so I went along, and uh, this man claimed to be one of the two witnesses of the book of Revelation in chapter 11. I don't know if you know much about the 11th chapter of Revelation, but there were two witnesses, and people argue who they were. Well, one popular view is that those two witnesses were Moses and Elijah. Well, this man was Elijah, and I was fascinated with him, and he began to show me things. And I mean, it was so convincing, and, uh, and I, it was months, months and months before I shook it off. Uh, because the things that he said were so convincing. Well, uh, you need to know that one of the reasons you should pray the Lord's Prayer, I don't know if you do it, uh, at Westminster Chapel, by the way, we've got a half a dozen of uh, my old uh, crew from Westminster Chapel, and in fact, let's see, two, three, four, five, six, seven, uh, but they will know at Westminster Chapel, we've Pray the Lord's Prayer every week. We just did that. And I'm not telling you that you should. I'm, uh, well, maybe I am telling you that, but at least uh, <laughs> Louise and I do it alone, every day, every day. And uh, one of the petitions is, lead us not into temptation. The word temptation means testing. You, you ask God that you could be spared of that. Uh, but deliver us from the evil one. That's the way the Greek reads, the devil. And it's a good prayer to pray because you need to know that all day long, Satan is looking for a way to find an entry point. Well, uh, what we have here in Colossians chapter 2 is the Apostle Paul who's taken this into some very deep theology. Uh, Colossians is the most difficult book in the Bible. I've put off... (laughs) Colossians, because I thought it's the last book I'll understand. I don't know if you remember this story, uh, but uh, 15 years ago, Michael Eaton said, R.T., I think you should do Colossians. I said, well, I'm not at Westminster Chapel anymore, and that's the only church in the world where you could just do that. And uh, I said, there's no chance. Then a year later, he said, I think you ought to do Colossians. And I said the same thing. I don't know how I would do it. And then um, two or three years ago, maybe it was just two years ago, a friend of mine, Bobby Connor, who has, a, in my opinion, a, an authentic prophetic gift. I've, I've preached with him in several places in the world and uh, I've, I've learned to trust him and he said to me, every time I look at you, I see Colossians. And I thought, well, that's it. So I told Colin and I last year, if we come back, we would do Colossians. And uh, we worked our way through it. And in this book, Paul shows the importance of seeing that Jesus Christ is the fullness is of, of the Godhead bodily, is in his person, that he is God in the flesh, and uh, Paul is combating a heresy. It's a strange kind of heresy. Uh, Nobody knows exactly what it was. It's a mixture of Gnosticism. uh, It's a mixture of Judaism. And uh, uh, so Paul the theologian now becomes Paul the pastor, and he applies the theology that he's been teaching. And uh, he applies practical lessons. And in this section where he begins uh, the practical, it starts out with the word, therefore. Uh, you find that in Romans, uh, the first 11 chapters of Romans, theology. And then in chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, in the light of all that I've taught, here's how you should apply this. Well, now, that's what Paul is doing because he's been fighting this strange teaching. And the first thing he says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. He's wanting to authenticate these Christians who uh, are just ordinary people. Uh, They're not uh, Oxford, Cambridge graduates. They just are people that have been saved, and they love the Lord. And uh, uh, what Paul says is that you are up to any uh, enmity there is. Uh, You are not inferior to anybody. Don't let anybody deceive you or intimidate you. And he wants you to know, don't let anybody pass judgment on you. Just don't take it. Because these people would think, well, if important people that are intellectual and, and learned uh, come to me, who am I? Who am I? And it could be there's someone here. Uh, you say, well, I am I'm not that bright. I don't have that much education. But let me say this. Colossians 127, one of the most important verses, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You need to know that you have what they don't. And when the enemy comes and tries to intimidate you, just remember you've got Christ in you. As John put it, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And you can withstand anybody. Don't let anybody judge you. That's what Paul is saying here. Well, as we've seen, we've gone pretty deep into some theological issues. And the conclusion of this heavy teaching is, You may recall from the last time I spoke, if you were here, Satan has been exposed. Colossians 2.15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame by triumphing over them in him. Uh, Well, now, what does Paul say next? I just quoted it. Let no one pass judgment on you. And then he says in questions of food and drink, who would have thought that uh, he would bring in something like this, what you eat, what you drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Now, the moment he talks like that, you can smell uh, the Judaizers. Now, that's a word we give today. Uh, I don't think they used that word then, Uh, We use it today to identify those who uh, were Jews who professed faith in Christ, Uh, whether they were really converted is doubtful, Uh, but their their aim was to get Christians to go back under the law. And uh, uh, Colossians is largely written to warn people to recognize false teaching. So these Judaizers, we know that that, Uh, They were Jews because they're talking now about festival, new moon, or a Sabbath. Uh, Well, one way to recognize the counterfeit, it's not the only way, and there may be some exceptions, but I would put it this way. They always fish in the Christian pond. These people... These heretics, these false teachers, you don't see them going into the world to try to get people saved, born again. No, they want to find out where there is a Christian. That's who they want to find. And they're only interested in finding people that are saved. And that's who they will talk to. And I should tell you uh, how to know. uh, Take the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses. You see, they want to reach Christians. Uh, they're not winning souls to Jesus Christ. Uh, or if I could, I could go on and on. Those who uh, only fish where there are Christians, they're not soul winners. And remember this about the counterfeit. They're not interested in getting people saved. One of the ways to know whether you're in a church that is sound is if they exist to see people converted to Jesus Christ. That's that's the way you know. Uh, One of my favorite organizations in the world is called the Gideons. Uh, I don't hear as much of them as I used to. I've often said I've never known a bad Gideon. They are all interested in seeing people saved. And when you're looking for a church, you want to ask this, first of all, uh, why, why are you here? Do you want to see people converted to Jesus Christ? Well, the, the counterfeits are simply uh, not interested in being soul winners. They want to subvert sound teaching. And so the Judaizers, in particular, they wanted to get Christians under the Mosaic law. And uh, so they tantalize Colossians. And what they do is to say, "Uh, this man, Paul, has let you down. Uh, He should have told you certain things. For one thing, you're Gentiles, and Gentiles need to be circumcised. And, and, And Paul, I know you like him, but he... You should have you should be circumcised, and so they're all confused. And uh, it this is just one of the things they did. So, what Paul does is to give two admonitions because false teachers are used of Satan to keep us from growing. He says, Let no one judge you, and he wants to make sure these Gentiles who are saved, uh, that they certainly don't need to be circumcised, let no one disqualify you. What that means, he doesn't want anybody to cause you to lose your reward. Uh, now here's what we know. You can't stop people from judging you, but you can refuse to listen to them. And the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And what this teaching should do is to help you to spot those around that are not teaching the truth. Never forget Satan's job description. You know what it is? He's the accuser. Uh, the accuser of the brethren, of the brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, and we learned that from the book of Revelation. Well, when people like this refuse to enter into a debate with them, they are brainwashed, and almost certainly unteachable, and they will just confuse you. Well now, Paul lists uh, two categories, uh, and these would be coming from these Judaizers. First, diet, Uh, food. Uh, Have you ever run into anybody that says that you should not eat pork? Uh, Oh dear. (laughs) Have we got one here? <laughs> or king prawns or lobster? Uh, because of the Mosaic Law, they're, they're strong about it. Uh, and and they're imp- they, they, they make a big deal of this. When we first came to England in the 1970s, 1973, do you know one of the most popular uh, movements in Britain, was called the Worldwide Church of God. Ever heard of it? And uh, they had magazines called The Plain Truth. And you could even buy them in WH Smith's, these magazines. And uh, they're important. They they take you right back to the Mosaic Law. You shouldn't eat pork, you shouldn't eat shellfish. And also they were big on the Sabbath. The seventh day. Uh, Now, there are a lot of good Christians, and I think there are Christians, who think you should keep Saturday. Uh, But the truth is, uh, the New Testament, when it repeats the Ten Commandments, there's one of the Ten Commandments never once mentioned in the New Testament. You know what it is? It's the Sabbath one. It's just not in the New Testament. And the reason for that is the fulfillment of the Sabbath is not a particular day, but it's to experience what the writer to the Hebrews calls the Sabbath rest. To come into your inheritance, uh, Hebrews 4.10. He that has entered into God's rest hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. It's when you come into a sense of the presence of God Where you are experiencing the Sabbath, you have such rest and peace and joy. And this is God's aim for all Christians to come into their inheritance. But you see, those who will come in and talk about holy days or food. By the way, you, you should know, remember this verse, Mark 7, 19, where it clearly says that Jesus pronounced all Foods clean, and in Acts nineteen fifteen, what God has cleansed, let no one uh, say is common. And and then uh, when it comes to uh, drink, uh, you've got many Christians uh, who make a big deal uh, that you should never uh, have a glass of wine. Never mind that Jesus was actually called a wine bibber. Uh, you might be shocked, but when he sat with the Pharisees, he would have wine with them. Now, uh, John the Baptist, John the Baptist uh, didn't drink any wine. Uh, and then they said he had a demon. Jesus did drink wine, and they said he's a wine bibber. So you're in a no win situation. Uh, but there have been those uh, who uh, make a big deal of this, and, and they judge you. They judge you and make you feel second class. I'll tell you a story that might make you smile. Uh, I need to tell you, Martin Lloyd-Jones told me this story. I told it at Westminster Chapel while he was still alive. It's, out, it's in a couple of books. He and Mrs. Lloyd-Jones were on holiday in West Virginia, and they were uh, uh, the guests of a very wealthy man, And uh, I won't go into who he was, but they would have meals with him, three meals a day, uh, with this wealthy man who, according to Dr. Lloyd-Jones, could not finish a meal without referring to these Christians who smoke and drink and think that they're really saved. And he said, the man would bring it up every meal. And I said, What did you say? I would just say, Hmm? Well, uh, he didn't make any comment. And when the week was over, the doctor said to me, We were glad the week was over. We got tired of hearing (laughs) him talking about these so called Christians that smoke and drink. And uh, so it turned out that uh, when they got on the plane from Uh, West Virginia, the next stop was in Grand Rapids, Michigan. As soon as the doctor told me Grand Rapids, I could have finished the story for him, because Grand Rapids is a center for Dutch Christians, straight from Holland. And the culture of Christianity in Holland is totally different. And so doctor said when the man came to him at the airport, he was smoking a cigar, and when they got to the house, the man said, Doctor, would you like a whiskey? And doctor said, I couldn't get over the contrast. the two kinds of Christianity in America. The first, these Christians who say they're Christians would smoke and drink, and then in Grand Rapids, the man was smoking and drinking, but that's not the end of the story. On the Sunday evening, after the service, Dr. Lloyd-Jones had just preached, and the man who smoked the cigar was taking him to their hotel. And as they drove, doctors said, oh look, there's a Howard Johnson's restaurant. I love their ice cream. And this Dutch Christian from Grand Rapids just went quiet. And uh, pulled over, drove into the parking lot, got out, and went into the Howard Johnson's restroom. But Dr. Lloyd-Jones said, is is there something wrong? Uh, No, no. Well, now look here, there's something wrong, because we've been together now, and uh, you've gone quiet. There must be something. Well, the man says, well, Dr. Lloyd-Jones, today's the Sabbath, and we don't... Buy ice cream on the Sabbath. (laughs) When Dr. and Mrs. Lloyd-Jones got back to the hotel, they looked at each other and said, it seems like somebody, everybody, everybody has to have something they are against that makes them feel righteous because they're against this. Well, now, that kind of thing, you see, was going on back then. This is why the Apostle Paul, I'll never forget this, in 1 Corinthians 18, sorry, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 13, he says, if eating meat will offend my brother, I'll eat no meat, because you've got to remember there are Christians who are easily offended, and you can't always be sure that you're going to run into one. I'll tell you one more story. (laughs) My friend, I won't give you his last name, Gerald, was in Los Angeles a few weeks ago, and at the meal, he said to the waiter, I'll have a glass of wine. The man across the table went, oh, oh. Gerald said, I just put my hands in the air and said, Jesus, 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 save me from these wretched Americans. <laughs> at which time, a Mexican waiter walked up and said, did you call me? His name name was Jesus. (laughs) Now, what Paul is warning about is there are people going to be like this. And he doesn't want anybody to be intimidated. So there were the Jewish holy days, the festivals, Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, and there were those pushing these, you need to keep these. There was the new moon, uh, Rosh Kodesh, a holiday, beginning of the month, the Sabbath, seven day of the week. Uh, and now Paul's point is none of these are to be observed since the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost. Uh, uh, the coming of the Spirit was the fulfillment of 50 days after P- Passover. Uh, it fulfilled the law. This is why Paul says in Galatians 5.18, if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. And Jesus fulfilled the Feast of the Tabernacles. John 1.14, the Word was made flesh and tabernacled, tented among us. Well, The thing is, uh, there were Jews who said they were Christians, uh, but they wanted to hang on to these feasts and holy days. They insisted on Gentiles being circumcised, Uh, They cause people to focus on the shadow of things uh, to come rather than the one, the one who fulfilled all those things by his perfect life. Well, now, what Paul's saying, let no one disqualify you for the prize. Here's what it means. Don't let anyone cause you to forfeit your inheritance. Now, not all of you perhaps were present Uh, When I went into some detail in earlier messages, it would be kind of hard to make it clear in just a sentence or two, but let me put it this way. Every born-again believer is called to come into his or her inheritance. Some do, some don't. Those that do are those that will experience the fullness of the Spirit, and that's the rest that remains for the people of God that I just quoted, Hebrews 4.10. You've experienced that. That is the spiritual inheritance that God wants you to have. And those will also receive a reward at the judgment seat of Christ. But you see, the devil doesn't want you to get that. And he wants you to lose it. And it is possible. I'm sorry, but it is possible to lose your inheritance. Doesn't mean you will lose your salvation. That's the good news. Once saved, always saved. But the inheritance is something that accompanies salvation. And those who come into it are assured that they're going to go to heaven and they have an experience with God and come in to what God wants them to do. But Satan doesn't want you to have that. This is why Paul says in verse 19, uh, those people who uh, want to uh, deceive you, uh, they're not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Uh, there are people that appear to grow, uh, but they grow by getting self righteous Here's the the problem. Those who began to go by rules and externals, how you dress, what you eat, what you drink or don't drink, uh, what they will do is judge you and make you feel second class. So Paul lists two reasons why you should not listen to these heretics. First, They don't know what they're talking about. They're, says Paul, puffed up without reason by their sensuous mind. And secondly, they are disconnected from Christ, Uh, not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, uh, as we said, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. And another thing these people were doing, uh, it refers to asceticism. That means self-denial in a way that says this is proof that you're really a Christian. Now, I don't mean to be unfair, uh, but there's been in the Middle Ages the rise of monasticism. People going into monks, uh, people that are monks are going into monasteries. Uh, and uh, it would seem that people like that must be very, very godly. Oh, to think that they would do that. But you know, it's come out in recent years, and again, I don't mean to be unfair, but so many people that went into this had sex problems and they found it was an easy way to deal with it. And the reason they were supposed to do it was to get away from the world. Turned out it was a way of getting to do what they wanted to do. And it's often, not always, there are exceptions, I'm sure people like St. Francis of Assisi, godly man, and uh, there are those who are truly living in self-denial. But the proof that they are godly, they're not going to point the finger at you. They're not going to be like that. And so Paul's point is, you will not truly grow spiritually by listening to these people. And some of them were waiting to have visions all the time. Do you notice how it's put? They go into detail about visions. Just remember, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. You can have a vision, and just because you love God, you may think it's got to be of God, but it may not be. And even parallel with this, in some ways more dangerous, are those who have prophetic words. Now, I believe in the prophetic. I referred a while ago to my friend Bobby Connor. uh, And I think he's a godly man, and and I I trust him. Uh, But there are those who I know of one major leader. If I were to give his name, you would know him, who admittedly doesn't read his Bible because he doesn't have time. He's very busy, but he has a prophetic friend that he calls him on the phone and says, What should I do today? And gets his advice that way. And these who get into that become like they're super spiritual. And Paul would even say, he talks about some of these Gnostics worship of angels. How could they do it? Well, let me say this. It's easy to criticize it, and then you find out even John on the Isle of Patmos, even John... Said, I fell down to worship the angel. I would have thought, John, you know better. But it just shows even John for a moment. And the angel said, stop it. Worship God. Angels do not want your attention or your worship. Well, how to know the prophetic? Let me summarize it. They judge you and make you feel inferior. Second... They get stuck in the law and don't get past to the fulfillment. You see, Paul says these things, festival, new moon, Sabbath, are a shadow of things to come. And third, the focus is not on Christ, but what we do to give ourselves a feeling that we are in good with God because of do's and don'ts and keeping these laws and abstaining from certain things, and we get our assurance that way. We're not supposed to do that. Let me tell you how to know that you're saved. Not because of what you don't do, but because you're looking to Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, and because he shed his blood. That blood satisfied God's justice. You put all of your eggs into one basket, the blood of Jesus. That is how you know you are saved. Not because you do this or don't do that. And they're all disconnected from Christ. That's the thing. These heretics that Paul is warning the Colossians about wanted to divert people from Jesus Christ. They wanted you to to forget about Jesus and go by these rules and these rules that make you think you're doing something important when the truth is you get your assurance by looking to Jesus, not yourself, not checking your spiritual pulse, not because you give up this or that, but because you can say with the hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness.